0: Thanks for joining us today on Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Neufeld. We continue our series in the book of Revelation, The Triumph of the Lamb. So let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, as we hear a message entitled, A Tribute to Jesus.
1: A Tribute. Well, it's something that's said or perhaps written to highly esteem another. It's a sign of admiration. Human beings have numerous ways of showing admiration for another. You know, when a hockey player scores three goals in one game, it's become a tradition to throw hats out onto the ice. It's a sign of admiration. Each year, the movie industry is something called the Oscars. It's a tribute to those who are outstanding in their field. You know, the world celebrates Nobel laureates. And every once in a while, a biography of a great person is written, and that biography is called a tribute. Now, in many ways, the book of Revelation is a tribute to Jesus. But unlike most tributes, which celebrate only what's been done in the past, the book of Revelation does more. Yeah, It does celebrate Christ's great accomplishments in the past, but it builds on what he has done by anticipating what he's going to do in the future. But against that portrayal of Christ is a very dark background. It's the background of utter evil, deep and dark demonic forces. To the untrained eye, those forces appear so much more formidable than Jesus. And indeed, it would seem that the beast and the dragon are going to win the day. You know, in the ancient world, there had been an emerging trend in which once an emperor died, he would be immortalized. And so Julius Caesar and Augustus and Claudius after him and then Vespasian and then Titus, the man who burned Jerusalem to the ground. All these men after their death had been declared divine by no less than the Roman Senate, but Domitian. The man who reigned as emperor of Rome from AD 81 to 96, that man was known for his cruelty and had for the first time called upon the Roman Senate to give him the title Dominus et Deus while he was still alive. So Dominus et Deus translates as Lord and God. And so it was then demanded that in order to show loyalty to Rome, all manner of people would be called upon to proclaim Domitian as Lord and God. You know, but how could Christians who knew that Jesus alone was Lord do such a thing? And immediately they became the object of persecution. And after the death of Domitian, the Roman historian Pliny the Younger gave his own tribute to Domitian. He said he was a madman blind to the true meaning of his position, who used the arena for collecting charges of high treason, who felt himself slighted and scorned if we failed to pay homage to his gladiators. In other words, if you so much as criticized his gladiators, that alone might be a death sentence. And so we see this madman was a very dangerous madman indeed. And it was during this era that the Apostle John had been exiled to the Greek island of Patmos for his activity in preaching the gospel of Jesus. And it was there in his exile that he wrote the book of Revelation. And although the church had faced persecution before, this new round seemed to take the matter to a new level that had never been seen before. You know, to many Christians, this must be a sign that they were living in the end times. I mean, After all, how could things get worse than this? Surely, Christ is going to return soon. And with the last living apostle in exile, the church now is facing a new round of persecution and John is writing. And what he writes is so very important for the church to hear. Indeed, it is so important that that before we get into the meat of this letter, he has to signal the church that they must treat this letter with special care and attention. So I'm reading Revelation 1 verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. In the early church, as is often the case today, there would be a time for the public reading of Scripture. And since as soon as this book was written, it would have been regarded as Scripture, and since it would have been read aloud in the church, John begins by pronouncing a blessing both to the one who is called upon to read it and to the entire congregation who hears it. So now the phrase, blessed are, that sounds so very much like the beginning of Christ's Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus begins with what we now call the Beatitudes. He begins with the blessed are statements, like blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, and so forth. God's favor, Jesus taught, rests upon a certain group of people. Indeed, that's how Revelation begins. God's favor rests upon the one who reads and the one who hears this book. Actually, there are seven blessings in this book. This one is but the first. Let me read the second. It comes from chapter 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. In other words, don't be afraid, church of Jesus, of the persecution that's before you. God's favor rests on you and not on Rome. Now, the third blessing in chapter 16, verse 15. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Again, blessed are those who expect Jesus at any time. And fourth, from chapter 19, verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then fifth, from chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. So you see, Christians must not fear suffering and death in this life. And finally, seventh from chapter 22, verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Now, these seven blessings must have comforted the church of Jesus in this great time of uncertainty, hard-pressed, despised, persecuted, threatened, and yet who has a blessing greater than theirs? See, as John writes, and as he knows the churches will hear, he knows that they're the most favored people on earth. No one is in a better position than they are. Indeed, we need to hear this ourselves. Read this book. It's a book about a blessing. I mean, you may struggle to understand it. Its images may confuse you at times, but if you read it and hear it, seek to apply it, God's going to visit your life with favor you'll come to realize just how blessed you actually are, so much so that you're going to say, I am the most favored person on earth. And so with the anticipation of what's going to follow, John is now ready to greet them. I'm reading now verses 4 to 5a. John to the seven churches that are in Asia Grace to you and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. You know, just like Colossians or Thessalonians, Romans or Ephesians, I mean, this book was written to real people in real churches many years ago. It has a historic setting. So you might conclude that this book was for them, and it was. See, one thing we're going to notice is that everything in this book comes up in sevens. You've noticed that there are seven blessings. There are seven spirits before the throne. There are seven stars and seven angels and seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. And some have argued, and I think successfully, that the book is most naturally divided into seven sections. So it should not surprise us that the book is addressed to seven churches. Now, all of those churches were in the Roman province of Asia, or to put it in our terms, they were churches that existed in the landmass that we now call the nation of Turkey. You know, many Bible teachers point out that if you traveled around the province of Asia in a circular motion, you would hit all seven of those churches. Indeed, whoever it was that received John's book, and we must assume took it off the island of Patmos, that person would have journeyed to the seven churches to read this letter to each of them, and the route that he would have taken would have started in Ephesus, and then he would travel to Smyrna next, and to each of the churches in exactly the order that we find them in this book. But the number seven is significant. In Revelation, it represents completion or perfection. By addressing seven churches, Jesus was in fact saying that he is addressing the complete number of all of his churches in every place, at every time. And so while it is true that these specific seven churches are being addressed, by implication. The message to these seven churches ought to be applied to every church at every time period until Christ returns. This book is therefore speaking to us. And notice the opening words, grace to you and peace. You know, early Christians, when they greeted each other, would not have said, hi, or how are you? They would have said, grace and peace. Those were standard Christian greetings at the time. And then John adds that this standard Christian greeting comes not from him, but it comes from the triune God. It comes from the Trinity. See, in this little paragraph, he mentions the Father, then the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. The great triune God is greeting his church. Unless you think that's not significant enough, John tells us just how significant that is. See, John describes the attributes of the Father, the always existent one. And then the Holy Spirit, he's using an image there from the book of Zechariah in which the book speaks of the Spirit in his sevenfold fullness. And therefore, the seven Spirit speaks of the Holy Spirit in his sevenfold fullness and of Jesus. And with this, the tribute to Jesus begins.
0: Your gifts mean so much. It allows the Bible teaching ministries of Back to the Bible Canada to be heard every day across the country. Bible teaching relevant to the needs of God's people and faithful to His Word. In fact, that's what you're telling us. Joan wrote, we love the way John digs into the Scripture, explaining the Bible, what it meant for the day, making it relevant for today, and how it applies to our daily walk with God. Encouraging words that speak into the ministry's mission. So whether you listen on radio, podcast, audio mail, online, mobile app or CD, your support makes it possible. Perhaps today you'd consider responding to the importance of Bible teaching by offering a practical gift to support this month. Perhaps a single gift or become a partner to tell monthly partner. It's easy and secure. Just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. John's book of Revelation is a
1: tribute to Jesus, and so it should not surprise us that the tribute begins in his greeting. In chapter 1, verse 5, he describes Jesus by giving him the first three titles, the first three of many titles that he's going to ascribe to Jesus in this book. Here he describes Jesus as first, the faithful witness, and then second, as the firstborn of the dead, and then third, as the ruler of the kings of the earth. So since we're giving a tribute to Jesus, let's trace all three of these marvelous titles. So let's start first with a tribute to Jesus, the faithful witness. Notice how similar this thought is to what Jesus said, and that's recorded in John 3, verse 11. Jesus has just been telling Nicodemus that he must be born again, and Nicodemus says he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus affirms that Nicodemus indeed does not understand these things. And then he adds, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen. And that's why Nicodemus didn't know what Jesus was speaking about. He could only understand things in context to what he already knew and what he had already witnessed or within his frame of reference. But Jesus did the same. He spoke of what he knew. He was with the Father from the beginning. That was his frame of reference. There never was a time when both he and the Father were not in fellowship with each other. And therefore, whatever Jesus speaks, he speaks as a faithful witness of the Father. He is the only one who can speak authoritatively about God. And that is the first of his titles, the faithful witness. Now, the second title, the firstborn of the dead. That title says so much more than that Jesus was the first to be raised in the age to come. Listen to Psalm 89, verse 27. It's a messianic psalm. It says, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, in the Old Testament, the firstborn is the one who inherits everything. He has authority over everything from his father. And so, in the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus has demonstrated his supremacy over everything, over death, but also over Caesar, over everything. And finally, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, here we have one of the central proclamations of the New Testament. Jesus is Lord of all. I mean, if you looked at the political situation of the day, you might say, well, it looks to me that Domitian rules everything. But of course, he doesn't. Jesus rules everything. Domitian only does what Jesus permits in this present hour. Now, having begun this way, that the one who reads this book and those who hear are blessed by God, and indeed, that the triune God is greeting his church in this book, and that Jesus, their Lord, is supreme over everything, and therefore the church need not fear, John is now ready to launch into the details of this prophecy. But he's not yet done in his opening tribute to Jesus, so let's continue to read Revelation 1, 5b-7. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. You know, not long ago, I was speaking with a friend who had taken some time to read all the way through the book of Revelation afresh. And he admitted to me that of all the books of the Bible, he knew this one least of all. But this time he told me he had read it with different eyes. He found himself amazed at the picture of Christ that he found there. There was Jesus standing before John in chapter 1, which made a terrified John collapse at his feet as though dead. There was Jesus, the woeful lamb, standing before the throne of God, looking as if he had been cruelly slaughtered. And yet, this woeful-looking lamb so terrified the kings of the earth that they cried out wondering who would rescue them from his power. And then again, this woeful lamb washed the robes of every single sinner who placed their trust in him with his very own blood. I mean, what a picture. Then there was the picture of Jesus seated on a horse, his eyes like blazing fire and his robe dipped in blood, leading a charge of the armies of God against the kings of all the nations. And finally, there is Jesus who stands before his people with a promise, I'm coming soon. He said to me, I still don't know how to understand this book, but I'm overwhelmed with the person of Jesus that I find there. See, might I say that he had come so much further in understanding this book than those who claim that they know who the Antichrist is from this book and when it is that Russia is going to invade Israel and so forth, because this is not a book that's supposed to help us with endless speculation. This is a book that's meant to weaken your knees and make you fall before your king in worship. So look closely at this picture of Jesus. and First of all, it tells us that he loves us. You know, sometimes in the West when we suffer or when we're diagnosed with a disease that can't be cured or when we've lost all that we have, sometimes I hear believers say, well, does he still love me? Listen to John's word to a persecuted church, to him who loves us. That is, he who rules over all has allowed for this moment and for his grand purposes these times of suffering to come about. But never lose heart, Christian friend. Christ loves us. Secondly, this passage tells us that he has freed us from our sins by his blood. It, of course, implies that sin has enslaved us, but that his blood on the cross broke the power of our own sin and allowed us to stand before God. I mean, clearly, Revelation teaches that Christ's death on the cross is our redemption. And thirdly, this passage shows us that we're so much more than a persecuted and hapless and pitiful band of Jesus followers awaiting a second coming. We are told that Christ has made us both a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. See, we are reminded that we are rulers in waiting, being now trained for rulership with Christ, and that we also right now are being given access to the throne room of God. Now, with these glorious truths said before the church, John invites the church to worship. To him, he says, be glory and dominion forever. And now, having given tribute to Jesus our King, John now reminds the church the things that they hope for and about the thing that this book addresses so well. Verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth shall mourn on account of him, even so. Amen. See, verse 7 is actually a quotation that comes to us from Zechariah twelve, ten to 14 The passage depicts the Messiah coming to Jerusalem, and as he comes, the inhabitants notice that he has been pierced or wounded. And then they realize it was they that wounded him, and so they begin to weep over their rebellion against their own Messiah. Now, John quotes this passage, but John changes the wording slightly. Not only will all Jerusalem and the Jewish people mourn, says John, but so also does all the earth. When he comes, he's not just the Jewish Messiah. He comes to rule the earth, and all the earth realizes that his death on the cross was because they have wounded him. And so the earth mourns, or as John says, the earth wails. They wail because the time for repentance has come to an end, and the day of judgment is upon them. The one whom they so easily dispatch to the cross is truly King of kings and Lord of lords. Again, for a persecuted church, it is this that this book is going to concentrate on for their benefit. But now to end the introduction of this book, John adds one more thought. Verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The title for God is Alpha and Omega. Those two letters are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. It's like saying that God is the A and the Z. The meaning here is simple. God is not only the A and the Z, but he is every other letter in between. All words that can be spelled are summed up in God. All thoughts that can be uttered about the present, the past, or the future are in him. He controls all truth. He controls all power. He controls all events. It is he who rules all things. And for many of us, it is this truth that we must cling to. Because, you see, Revelation is not a book that leads us to believe that this world will be easy for believers. See, Revelation speaks about suffering. It speaks of evil men ruling. It speaks of images of demons. It tells us of great spiritual warfare. It tells believers that we're not to give up in the day of evil. God is before all things. God is after all things. But God is also in the midst of all things. So let me suggest that if you are to grow in Christ, verse 8 is an excellent verse to memorize. Whenever you think the world you live in overwhelms you, repeat these precious words and remind yourself of who your God is and who he has made you to be and give thanks for he is Lord.
0: John, you mentioned this a little bit yesterday, but I think it's important to talk about again. You know, your message today has been about Jesus. And really, the book of Revelation is all about the glorification of who Jesus is.
1: Yeah, it sure does. And it deals with everything from the identity of Christ, that he is fully equal with the Father. The same titles are given to Jesus as are given to the Father. Then his great deeds, of course, he has freed us from our sins by his blood. Uh, then that wonderful image of the lamb and the lion at the same time. Um, then, he, you know, I mean, we're, we're going to get to the breaking of the, the seals and Christ's control over history. He is Lord over history. I mean, I, I don't know that I can talk about Revelation without contrasting Jesus to Caesar in Rome. Because, you know, all over the Roman world, they're building these temples to Caesar and calling him Lord and God, and yet there is only but one Lord and God who rules over every Caesar that has ever been in, in world history, to in the end saying that Jesus is Lord and God even over the Antichrist. I mean, you know, we, we pull all of that together I mean, the issue is a tribute to Jesus. We should read Revelation, not by right away getting into saying, what's your view of this? But rather, can we get a grander picture of Jesus than we have ever had before? I mean, that's my prayer as we study this
0: book. Great word. Thanks so much, John. Remember, join us again tomorrow on Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. For this month only, we want to offer all of our listeners Dr. Newfeld's new series, Celebration of Marriage, on CD for free. Just ask, no strings attached, only the opportunity to hear and make available to whoever quality Bible teaching on marriage. Dr. Newfeld offers five sessions on marriage, two teaching programs discussing the covenant and intimacy of godly marriages, and three sessions offering practical guidelines and direction as Dr. Newfeld conducts insightful interviews with married couples discussing preparation for marriage and dating battling the pitfalls of marriage in our society today and how to redeem a marriage in freefall. This is an important series, so ask for your free copy today for yourself, a couple preparing to be married, a couple in crisis, or for your church library. Ask for celebration of marriage by calling 1-800-663-2425 or online at backtothebible.ca.